Today's scripture is from Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. The Canaanite woman's faith. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came, and she knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the story of faith and faithful struggle. Thanks be to God. Let us be in a spirit of prayer. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable to you, our strength and our salvation. And may we, like Samuel, cry out and say, Speak, Lord, for we are listening. Amen. The Bible story that you just heard Mary Ann read and that you heard Miss Christina speak about in the children's time is one that is so familiar to us. Even in secular culture, I think we know a little bit about the crumbs that fall from the table. But our message here today, our takeaway, what I hope we remember when the service is done, when you've turned your computer off and you're going about your day, is that when we fervently seek healing out of a great faith, pleading our case as God's beloved, we will receive the bountiful crumbs of love's grace. Wait, what? Are we not the pious, well, uh, the, the ones who already know what's going on? Are we not the, the, the victors in this story, the, the ones who already have God's grace? Sometimes we forget who we are in these stories. And it's good for us to take a new look, look with a fresh lens, have a new perspective on stories that we've heard over the years in certain ways. I think that if this story had a few more words, like one more line, we might be able to understand it a little differently. For instance, in this case, it is Jesus who says, we don't throw the food, the children's food, to the dogs, to the woman at the well who comes pleading, who's so fervently desiring Jesus' healing power, which she's obviously heard of for her daughter who is unwell. 
she's a little bit out of control and she's it's a little bit hard to handle her presence when she comes sort of flying at the disciples and Jesus and so they're a little bit um, tentative about the way in which they approach her you'll see that initially Jesus ignored her and the disciples said send her away and she still comes she's persistent as so often these women in scripture are she persists in coming and seeking a healing for her daughter so I think instead of Jesus if, if it weren't Jesus who says we don't throw the, the children's food to the dogs if it was somebody like Peter who's you know he's often a blowhard he's often saying things that are kind of out of line in scripture if it were him that were saying it and then there, there was this corrective we might ex, uh, we might experience that better whereas in this instance where it's Jesus who's saying it we're thinking my goodness is Jesus being racist? Is Jesus having a problem with people who are different, with the people who are Canaanite, as this woman is? But I think that often, when we're teaching a lesson that hasn't quite gotten through to the other yet, sometimes it helps them to see the lesson in action. So rather than telling them again and again, love your neighbor, love your neighbor, even the Samaritan, even the Canaanite, maybe Jesus had to kind of show them. Maybe he had to act in a way that was so shocking by initially not responding to this woman and then by saying this thing about, why would I help you? That was so shocking maybe that it jarred the disciples and those listening into understanding more clearly what it means to accept everyone that God's grace is freely given to everyone and that means everyone it means the people who we think are bad the th people who we disagree with it means all classes and races and types and of people that that we might ordinarily not consider as being you know, on a par with us. We see pretty clearly here in this example sort of a caste system, sort of this, this hierarchical system where the people eat the food first, the children eat the food next, and then the, the dogs get the crumbs. And so this woman who's approached Jesus is being considered to be one of the lowest of the low. Just think about times that you've heard that word, you know, those dogs. I mean, the ways in which that's kind of an insult or, or a, a lowly kind of characterization. It's important for us to realize in this story that we're not necessarily those disciples. We're not necessarily those chosen people. In fact, we are not those chosen people. It's very clear in scripture that the chosen people are the Hebrew people, the Israelites, the Jewish people, the ones that God has promised. We, as Christians, are the Gentiles, the ones that have been grafted on. And this story helps us to understand that. The blessing that we are given by including us as the chosen, by grafting us on to the chosen people of God. We are not those people initially, and that's why we hear this woman who is a Gentile in this scripture saying, Lord, have mercy on me. 
she comes and I think she's shouting and she's maybe disheveled and she's just acting in a way that is not very orderly. And the disciples say, send her away. This isn't the type of ministry that we want. We want it to look perfect. We want it to be attractive to people. We don't want it to be messy. And this is just where Jesus' work comes into play. Especially in this instance where he demonstrates. He doesn't just speak about it. He demonstrates. This is how you interact with God's beloved. So I don't think this is so much about be, Jesus being racist or misogynist, but how we are grafted in and how we need to remember our place. Because we often read stories as if we are the protagonist, as if we are the victor. And that's not always true. It is a blessing to be of the least, the last, and the lost. Scripture tells us over and over again how God comes to those people. So when we are in desperate straits, when nothing is going right in our lives, when we are faced with incredible adversity, we know that then God is seeking us as God seeks the lost sheep, that God is embracing us, that God is giving us the place at the head of the table. And it's not just for us. It's when we feel like we've achieved this place, it's, it's, it's as if there are others who still haven't got it. You know, like, oh, well, we've realized what it means to be Christian. We have to realize that God gives this gift to everyone, all of creation. I happened to look out this morning, and um, it wasn't a dog under my table, but it was a squirrel on my, my little table in the backyard. And I thought how funny that is, that God is nurturing all of creation, providing for all of creation, not just the ones that we think are the, the ones that God is speaking to. And so it's an important lesson for us to learn that none of us as Christians are God's chosen people, at least not initially. We were the Gentiles that were grafted in to the Hebrew, the line. We are those Gentiles. We are not the heroes in this story, in every story, as we tend to remind ourselves. We are the woman. We are this Canaanite woman. We are begging for a scrap. Oh, Lord, have mercy on me. Heal my daughter. We are seeking that from God. We are constantly coming to God and and requesting God's presence in our lives, God's healing in our lives, God's love towards those that are in our lives. And the other thing that we sometimes forget is we are the religious people, right? So, so often when we read these stories, we think, oh yeah, well, we're the good guys. You know, we're the ones who got it. But we're the church people. We're the religious ones. We're the pious ones. We're the Pharisees, so often. And the stories that we read are directed at us. We need to remember to be humble in our reading of Scripture, to always be looking for something new. And that's one of the things that's so interesting about this story to me. I truly believe that Scripture is the living Word of God, right? So as often as I read Scripture, and I read it carefully because I want to understand the context, because if we, you know, place our stuff on, on the context that's happening, sometimes we miss the point entirely. 
and I read it the so I read it from that standpoint and then I read it from the standpoint of tradition the ways in which it has been read throughout the ages by the church mothers and fathers by people of faith who've carefully examined it who've come to theological conclusions that can inform my understanding and I read it with a sense of reason with with just figuring it out just parsing the un, the the meaning of these stories by reflecting on what their context was when these stories happened in Jesus time by by reflecting on the church mothers and fathers by just understanding all of these things as they come in I've, I've just named three parts of the Wesleyan quadrilateral the way in which we understand scripture and so the fourth is the one I'm going to speak about the fourth is experience and because it is the living Word of God, I think it's important for us to realize that our experience plays a part in this too, right? So even though we look at this story and we think about the dogs that they're talking about, even the dogs, you know, it's, it's a derogatory kind of statement. Even the dogs don't get the crumbs of, don't get the children's food. And I know, okay, so from my, my understanding of the Bible and the context, I know that dogs weren't the dogs that we have today, right? These were wild dogs. These were mangy pets. Not, not pets, mangy, you know, beasts that were present. Whereas my dog right now might be beautifully groomed, might be well cared for, might be pampered. I'm teased in my house because I microwave her food for 10 seconds to just make it a little bit more palatable for her. So those dogs were not pampered like these dogs today, right? And, and that's important to understand. But when we look at scripture through this, this lens of experience, we think about the ways that we do pamper our dogs, the ways that we do feed the dogs under the table, right? And to that end, I just wanted to share a quick story with you. I listened to a podcast called Ask Science Mike. I had the good pleasure to meet Mike McCarg. He came to our... Um, ripple effect our congregational development event one year and he not only came and spoke to the leaders the night before he also came and he spoke he did our keynote address and then he did two breakout sessions during the day and I tell you instead of signing up for some of the other things that were offered I kept going to his I had read his books I had listened to his podcast I knew that he had a lot to say and in his podcast that I was listening to this week he answered some questions. Now, Mike is a person of faith, right? So he's coming at it from a, a really scientific point of view. He, he researches his answers. He gives you, you know, good, hard science that's based on research. But he also comes at it from a faith standpoint. He's had his own dark night of the soul. He understands God deeply and God's activity in his life. And he shares those things. So within his podcast this week, he received a question, which was, why are dogs afraid of thunder? So the answer is very interesting. First of all, that in the research that he did, he couldn't find a real reason for that. And the person posited, the person asking the question also posited that um, wild dogs certainly must experience lightning all the time, right? So they must 
be experiencing this lightning and not cower under the bed like our dogs do. I had a 115 pound German Shepherd a few years ago that fainted when he heard thunder. He actually fainted. I was sitting there calming him down, petting him. I watched his eyes roll back in his head and he fell into my arms. And the funny thing was that he was a purebred German Shepherd and we, we had um, put on his pedigree uh, Nico, King of Thunder. And here he was afraid of thunder. So silly. But so what, what Mike did is he researched some of the things that um, people had done about observations about animals in the wild. So how animals ordinarily react to thunder and lightning. And what happens for a wild animal is that there's a startle reflex you know, because it's a sudden uh, noise and it's a sudden bright light and everything. And, and there's a startle reflex and then they go and they seek safety, right? But domesticated dogs are different. So he, he conjectures, because, you know, there isn't a lot of research on this, and I love this conjecture, that over the years, people have domesticated dogs, right? So what we've done is we've gone out and we've bred dogs that had the best qualities, the best quality of this one and the best quality of that one. And we've come up with these dogs that are our best friend, right? That's, that's the, the, the phrase that we use, that dogs are our best friend. I know my dog sure is, just will go everywhere with me and, and just is so kind and, and such a companion, right? So in the course of doing this, we are also their best friend, right? There's a relationship that's developed. And you hear this so often when we're talking about faith, that it's all about relationship. And here's this instance where we're talking about the relationship, not between God and humans, not between humans and one another, but between humans and their pets, right? So dogs have evolved in our households to understand that we are powerful, right? We can walk across the room and make a river flow because we have turned on the kitchen faucet and water comes, right? We can go to the refrigerator and food appears and we don't have to hunt. We can make it light daytime in the midst of dark nighttime by flipping a switch. So the dog views us, they're humans, as all-powerful. So surely we must be able to stop that thunder and lightning. So of course they're afraid and they come to us seeking help. Of course they do. Isn't that fun? What a fun idea to consider that the God, that the dog views us in such a way that we can surely do anything. And it's all the result of that relationship. Now, let's take a step back and think about the actual context of this story. Just before this passage that Marianne read, Jesus has walked on water, right? He's on the Sea of Galilee, and he's come ashore to Gennesaret. Gennesaret is a city that is situated on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, where people have come to him in this just previous passage, looking for healing, knowing that he, Jesus, can heal them. And they are seeking that healing. Now, the Sea of Galilee, we call it a sea, but it's actually a freshwater lake in Israel. And it's the lowest freshwater lake on earth. 
it's the second lowest lake in the world after the Dead Sea, which is even lower in terms of sea level. I think it's 300 feet below sea level. But the Dead Sea is a saltwater lake, whereas the Sea of Galilee is a freshwater lake. And it's fed partly by underground springs, but its main source is the Jordan River, which flows through it. So I want us to remember that that Jordan River is a sacred place. That Jordan River has seen a lot of important events in the life of our biblical uh, characters here. The Israelites crossed it into the promised land. And Jesus himself was baptized by his cousin John the Baptist in the Jordan. Much of Jesus' ministry occurs on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus recruited four of his apostles, the fishermen Simon and his brother Andrew and the brothers John and James. Jesus gave the sermon on a mount on a hillside just above the Sea of Galilee, overlooking that lake. And there were miracles that occurred there, walking on the water, calming the storm, the miraculous catch of fish, the feeding of the 5,000. And it was the setting for Jesus' third post-resurrection appearance to his disciple. Here, on the Sea of Galilee, in this nearby town, is where this woman, who is unnamed, comes to Jesus for healing, just as so many others have. But what differs for her is that she seems to be out of control. She seems to be shouting, and she's not doing it in an orderly way. And she cries out and says, have mercy on me. And I know that we've all encountered people that behave in such a way that we're, we're not quite sure whether we're safe, maybe, or whether what they have um, to share is, is, is valid, or does she really have a need, or is she just crazy, that sort of thing. And I think that it's important to examine the way in which we respond to people who seem to be that way. Because they are simply, fervently seeking God. Now I said before that we need to understand that God's grace is given freely to everyone. There was a time in, a, in another church when I worked with folks who were incarcerated, helping to reintegrate them back into society. I worked with a program with the Brattleboro Community Justice Center that had a grant that helped us get these sex offenders back into society. Now, there's a lot of healing that has to go on because we consider in society that to be one of the gravest crimes that can be committed. Pedophilia is a horrible thing. And how can you take somebody who has, who has committed such a terrible crime and help reintegrate them into society? So there's spiritual healing that takes place, there's therapy that takes place, but there's this meeting of human needs, which is part of what the Community Justice Center out there was doing. We would help to provide housing. We would give um, things from others' households, like uh, plates and mattresses and, and things that were necessary for life. But for me, coming into this work, it was important to bring that spiritual component. One of the things that I notice is when we allow ourselves to go deeply 
to, to be humble and recognize that we are going to be learning out of any experience. It's, it's incredibly important. It's, it's, it's vital to our faith formation. It's vital to our continued spiritual growth. And so there's one gentleman that I worked with in this situation through the Justice Center who taught me more about faith than I think anybody ever has. He reminded me that grace is getting something you don't deserve. So think about that. God's grace is lavished upon us. It's not earned. It's not merited. It's freely lavished upon us. And what is grace? That love, that goodwill, that goodness of God. And then the second piece of the statement is, mercy is not getting what you do deserve. So this gentleman that I'm speaking of knew the horror of the crimes that he had committed and knew that he deserved deep and terrible punishment. But he understood God to be merciful and to have provided this opportunity for restoration instead of punishment. And so together, grace is getting something you don't deserve and mercy is not getting what you do deserve. He was so confident in his understanding of this. He had so much to be forgiven that he was incredibly understanding of what God's grace looked like in his life. And it was a lesson to me. It was a lesson to me, something I'll never experience, the depth of that understanding for him in that situation. So this woman, this Canaanite woman, comes to Jesus in this time where she's tormented and urgent and, and just seeking God's healing through Jesus for her daughter. I'd be pretty urgent myself. If my daughter was in, in dire straits, was needing healing, I might be shouting too. But initially, Jesus does not respond. And I don't know about you, but I've been enjoying Hamilton this summer. And it reminds me of this, um, this line from the character Aaron Burr, where he says, talk less, smile more. You know, and he's, he's talking about not sort of giving away his position. And I don't think it's that Jesus is going to fail to act, because we know Jesus does act, right? We know the end of the story. But just as Aaron Burr does, Jesus sits back. And I think in Jesus' case, it's an opportunity for the disciples, for us as readers today, to see what will happen. To see the activity of God in the world, not just reserving grace and mercy for those who do deserve something, or we think do deserve something, for those who truly deserve it, for God's beloved, all that God has created for, to receive God's mercy and grace. The disciples say, get rid of her. Jesus says, initially, I was sent to the lost sheep. I've got a specific task in front of me. Almost as if, you know, I, I don't have time for this other thing. This is not what these resources were meant for. 
But I think God was using her to reveal something about who we are and how we interact with one another. Right? And so Jesus Christ is the revelation of divine love of God, God's self. So through Jesus' actions and inactions and statements in this situation, I think we're seeing what God is doing. The Canaanite woman says, Lord, help me. And Jesus says the children's food was not for the dogs. It's interesting, when I do that thing I talked about earlier, when, when I take it and I put it in my experience and I think about what it means to, to have uh, what's being fed to the dogs, I realize that there's dog food and then there's people food and that, you know, we, we're pretty careful about the distinctions, although in my house when one opens a can of tuna, one sees all of the pets, dogs and cats alike, come running. It's an opportunity for them to participate with the, the human food. And of course I share it with them. So what if we put it in our own context? The dogs get the scraps, not because they fall, although they sometimes do. I'm a bit of a klutz myself. But the dogs get the scraps because they're falling from the table. Because the kids are sloppy. Or the kids don't like peas. The crumbs inevitably fall. And the crumbs are deeply satisfying. I know that it is a delight for my dog to catch that piece of chicken that's fallen off the table. We are kept interested and alert. If you've ever had seen a dog under the table, they are ready. And I see that woman in her fervent desire for Jesus to heal her daughter, to be alert and ready. And shouldn't each of us as seekers of truth be like that? Alert and ready and desirous and thirsty for God's healing action in our lives. So we need to re be reminded of who we are in this story. The least privileged place possible, the dogs less than the disciples, less than Israel, less than the children. We are the dogs. And God is merciful to all of us, even though we are stuck in our own disobedience. We don't deserve the scraps, but we get them and more. God invites us to the table. God gives us the best seat. So what is our why? It helps us to think in, about this in terms of what, what does our religion mean? Why do we follow Christ? Why do we share this gospel good news with others? It's so that we can help people to see, to know, to remember, to believe that we're all stuck in our own disobedience. But God always has something more for us. That the grace that we don't deserve, but is lavished upon us. You know, only this woman, who is unnamed, and the centurion, who is also unnamed, are said by Jesus to have great faith. Those are the only two people in Scripture, not even the disciples, are said to have great faith. In fact, Peter is said just before this, in chapter 14, when he has attempted to walk on the water and then sinks, Jesus says to him, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? 
And he purports himself, Peter, to be pious and following and wonderful. And this woman who is perceived to be unruly, unkempt perhaps, is yearning, is desiring for Jesus' healing assistance. She has great faith. And this disciple, Peter, the rock on whom our church is built, is the one of little faith. And so we begin to realize the magnitude of God's love, the the generosity of God to share God's grace and love with all of us. So the bottom line is when we fervently seek healing out of great faith, pleading our case as God's beloved, we will receive the bountiful crumbs of love's grace. And so let us pray that we might always understand the least, the last, and the lost, including our sinful selves, are fully deserving of God's grace and love. May our hearts and our minds be open to this truth, and may we treat each other as the beloved recipients of God's mercy and grace. There's a, an author named Carolyn Winfrey Gillette that you'll find in our, our hymnal in certain places. She has set one of our familiar tunes to new lyrics for this story. She came to Jesus from outside the fold. Canaanite woman persistent and bold. Looking to Jesus she wanted to see. One who would help her and set her child free. Claiming a blessing, a touch of God's grace. She knew God's love was not bounded by place. Jesus, you listened, debated, then healed. For in her asking, her faith was revealed. God, you still bless those who seek you in prayer. You welcome dreamers who faithfully dare. In Christ now risen, your mercy extends. Those on the outside are welcomed as friends. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Amen.